Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Yay! Hi everyone, we decided to split this topic into two parts. You are listening to the second part of the Harlem Renaissance, where we talk about the Black narrative after the Renaissance. Please be sure to check out part one to learn what the Black narrative was before the Renaissance. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? I'm Nat. I'm Jack. And today, Jack is going to be talking about the Harlem Renaissance. So after that heavy, 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 heavy last episode, we are now going to talk about the brighter part of the Harlem Renaissance, which is how the black narrative changed. So during the Harlem Renaissance, blacks had a newfound freedom to express themselves in a way that they didn't have in the South. So there was a rise in black artists and opportunities in nearly every field from poetry, music, art, math, science, engineering, and education. And it was a redefinition of black expression. Social leaders of the movement believed that art could open up the doors to economic opportunity and social acceptance. So the first person we're going to talk about, you cannot talk about the Harlem Renaissance without mentioning this guy. His name is W.E.B. Du Bois. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a poet right? Yes, I guess you could say he's a poet, yeah. Not just a poet, he is also an activist, and he wrote novels, he's an author. Yeah, W.E.B. Du Bois was an artiste in the writing sense. (laughs) He had a goal to redefine the perception of the black person. He was a scholar and an activist, and was the first African-American to earn a PhD from Harvard University in 1895. Ooh, I did not know that. He was not allowed to stay on campus past 6 p.m. and had to like sit in a corner but he got that degree. Oh my God. So he also co-founded the NAACP. People who don't know what that is, that is the National Association for the Advancements of Colored People. And fun fact, he was mixed black and white. He was actually able to freely attend school with white people yeah. um, where he grew up in Massachusetts, which, okay, represent mixed people. Hey. <laughs> yeah, so actually he didn't experience Jim Crow laws until he went to Tennessee in 1885 for his undergrad degree. And when he was experiencing that for the first time, it really sparked his analysis of American racism. And I was like, how could, how have I never heard of W.E.B. Du Bois before? And I really want to read more of his work because I'm so curious. And I always wonder about how mixed people get treated then. Because how do you, how do you choose which side? Because people look different, right? And so how do the rights get organized? And I know how the rights got organized in apartheid, which is the segregation of races in South Africa, which we will cover in season two. (laughs) One of his works that he published was called The Souls of Black Folk, which was a book that elaborated on the diversity of black experiences. And a lot of his work analyzed the effects of systemic racism in creating poverty-stricken areas in the black community. 
He protested lynching and race riots and wanted to uplift the voices of the African-American community. He was a huge writer who published many works and gave documentation on what it was like to be black in America at this time. So fun fact, this is my theory on why they didn't teach you about W.E.B. Du Bois in school, at least they didn't teach me. Uh, it's probably because when he was 93 years old, this was in 1961, he joined the Communist Party of the United States of America, which I did not realize we had a Communist Party. Yeah. But if you were listening to our last episode on the Red Scare, we all know how Americans feel about that. Yeah. So that's probably, wow. could be a reason why they left it out. Wow. Oh, interesting. Okay, so then maybe that's, it. like, throwback to the episode we were talking about how the NAACP was labeled as communist, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and I was like, because I was like, I'm not surprised that they did that, but also with the way segregation was being enforced, of course they're going to label fighting for equal rights as communism. The next person we're going to talk about is Langston Hughes. He's another American poet, activist, playwright. He wrote a piece called, quote, The Negro Artist and the Racial Mountain, unquote, which was a manifesto that called for a confident and unique black literature. Direct quote from his book is, quote, We younger Negro artists who create now intend to express our individual dark-skinned selves without fear or shame. If white people are pleased, we are glad. If they are not, it doesn't matter. We know we are beautiful and ugly too. The tom-tom cries and the tom-tom laughs. If colored people are pleased, we are glad. If they are not, their displeasure doesn't matter either." Wow. So he advocated for you to present your experience as it is. Wow. Uh, and I do not know what the Tom Tom is. Do you know what the Tom Tom is? No. What is that? I was, that's what I was like. So I was trying to think. I about. literally do not know. Should we look that up? I think it's like a drum. Okay, so Oscar Jones is the first black filmmaker. So he made a lot of lovely black films featuring actual black actors <laughs> playing black people in a range of characters and personalities that are assertive, articulate, sophisticated. And it allowed black audiences to see themselves displayed in a positive light in films. And they handled very hard subjects like miscegenation and the brutality of rape. Wow. And then if anyone forgets what miscegenation means, it was the belief that, like, races should not mix at all. So that was, like, the miscegenation laws in Virginia in 1924 from Loving versus Virginia case that we covered in our episode called We Were Illegal? <laughs> or Are We Illegal? We, we, we were illegal. About us being we illegal. Were illegal. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about miscegenation laws, so you should check that out. Next, Josephine Baker. Have you heard of her? She's a singer? She's a performer. But she also fought for racial equality by demanding in her contract all of her contracts, that they contain non-discrimination clauses and that her audiences became integrated. Wow. So she used her platform to help the cause, which I think is awesome. Yeah. These are just a few people from the movement I wanted to talk about, and there are literally so many more. The list goes on and on of all the black artists that emerged in the Harlem Renaissance, but if you want us to cover a specific person, please email us. We also saw a rise in vibrant nightlife. Ooh! It was really popular to go to Harlem for the nightlife, and entrepreneurs in Harlem realized that some white people wanted to experience black culture without having to socialize with African Americans. So they created clubs to give the black experience. And some of these were the Cotton Club, Small's Paradise, and Connie's Inn that had jazz and dance performers, as well as illegal alcohol, because this is the time of the prohibition. 
These clubs are actually, they were very controversial at the time. Some people ridiculed the existence of the clubs because they potentially exotified black people, but other people also felt that it was a sign that black culture was becoming more accepted. I see. Yeah, so there are differing opinions on these clubs. So similar to the Italian Renaissance, artists are actually supported by patrons. The way that artists, especially like in the Italian Renaissance, it was like wealthy Europeans would pay for your art and invest in you and that's how you can make a living. And the same thing is needed for the Harlem Renaissance. So a majority of wealth, especially at this time, is concentrated in the pockets of white Americans. And so thus there needed to be white patrons that supported these black artists. So there is something that emerged called the Harmon Awards. So the Harmon Awards were established by William Elmer Harmon, who was a wealthy white real estate tycoon from Ohio. He understood the benefit of having black people participate in the economy. So Harmon believed that encouraging blacks to be self-sufficient would help the country in general become more successful by getting them into the economic system. And I think that this is literally so interesting because I'm like in the middle of taking a negotiation course from Yale University, just like online in Coursera. It's the one I sent you. Yeah. The reason why we negotiate is because when we work together, the pie gets bigger. There aren't less slices. That was new to me. I didn't realize like for some reason we feel like when we're negotiating, it's like who's going to get more of the pie? Like, no, when we work together, we can get more slices. Um, The pie gets bigger. I like that. I remember that I did the first like week of that course I remember the whole pie metaphor and so I just think that it's so cool that he understood this concept in a time where many people have a scarcity mindset and didn't realize that if you mobilize people to become economically self-sufficient you can as a whole increase a country's production and everyone benefits yes we talked about the dot-com bubble bursting Uh when a company has an IPO that means that average investors can buy into it when you buy into to a share of a company, you're giving them money to take and continue building their company. So when you have more people who have the money to participate, that means more money slowing into the economy. That means a greater GDP. That means greater production. That means more chances for entrepreneurs to continue building out infrastructures and providing more jobs. You, you want everyone to be able to participate in the economy. And since this is not an economics episode, we're <laughs> not going to get that far into it, but I am going to link that course in the YouTube description. Just like a fair warning, it's a little heavy on math, but the principles are really interesting and you can still get like a larger understanding. Mm-hmm. So this guy founds the Harmon Foundation in 1922 and with that formed something called the Harmon Awards. These awards were awarded to black people for constructive achievement. And they were awarded in sectors from business and industry to science and invention, music, education, religious service, race relations, and fine arts. So the awards range from bronze to gold with monetary benefits ranging from 100 USD to 1,000 USD during that time, Mm -hmm. which today would have been 1,500 USD to 14,000 USD. For art shows too, their uh, black artists were also able to profit off of the sales of art. Wow, yeah, okay. So the Harlem Renaissance was a time where black people could shatter stereotypes, increase visibility, and uplift African voices. So much of the art was celebratory, but there were also lots of pieces that illustrated the alienation, racism, discrimination, and the discomfort of 
performing the black identity in a white world. There's the concept of double consciousness, which is being black and American at the same time. Yeah. A playwriting contest at the time encouraged writers to write about things as they know them, saying, quote, you do not have to confine your writings to the portrayals of beggars, scoundrels, and prostitutes. You can write about ordinary, decent colored people if you want. On the other hand, do not fear the truth. Plumb the depths. If you want to paint crime and destitution and evil, paint it. Be true, be sincere, be thorough, and do a beautiful job, unquote. Wow, that's beautiful. People are diverse, right? Like, people have diverse experiences, and so you don't always have to write about things that people expect you to write, whatever you want to write. Just be true to who you are, because you are, like yourself yeah and I feel like that's something that like entertainment is only recently getting used to is like okay like for years and like for like literally like decades and decades and hundreds of years like we've been saying like okay we need more diverse representation in our entertainment like it's only recently where like we could have some a non-white actor like being the lead in a movie that has nothing to do with like their background and it's like oh just portraying them as like a normal human being like just a normal I'm like just thinking of like Disney Channel stuff where like yeah oh my gosh I saw a Disney Channel show I don't even know what it was it was like my sister was watching in high school and they had an Asian character who is literally like stereotypical super stressed out about grades super like academic and I was like I'm like that's it can't you just make her like a fellow camper yeah. like why does that have to do right. the narrative yeah like the fact that people were writing about it all the way back during the Harlem Renaissance like Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, one play that stood out to me in particular during this time that I was reading about in my research is called, quote, Rachel, unquote. And that was written by African-American playwright and poet Angelina Weld Grimke. And so the premise of that play is basically Rachel, the main character, is an educated, sensitive, young black woman who comes to the understanding of the harsh realities of American racism She comes to learn that her brother and father were lynched. She then becomes depressed and vows never to have children and rejects the love of the man she loves. And I think that that's such a realistic, probably, experience of women at the time. Yeah. Um, And I think women especially will go through this as well. Like, is it ethical to bring more people into this world if you know that they're going to suffer in that way? And especially during this time, I can't imagine, Mm -hmm. like, wrestling with that. Yeah. When the stock market crashed in 1929, this also led to the decline of the Harlem Renaissance. As you know from the Great Depression episode, we know so much. We're just learning together. Uh, This is the crash that led to the United States historical Great Depression. During this time, many people lost their money, including wealthy white patrons. So they're not investing into black art and not going to clubs in Harlem as much. So regardless, the Harlem Renaissance created a new image of sophisticated and intellectual African Americans and gave a voice to a community that had been voiceless for hundreds of years. And it gave these artists pride in and control over how the black experience was represented in American culture. And it also set the stage for the civil rights movement. So most importantly, although the Renaissance came to an end, the artwork of those artists still lives on to inspire and empower us throughout generations. Yes. It lives on forever. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. But yeah, so that's the Harlem Renaissance. Thank you for sticking with us throughout. 
this has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That. If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That. If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.